Today's episode of Rob Has a Podcast is brought to you by Harry's. Visit harrys.com and use promo code ROB to save $5 off your first purchase of premium shaving supplies. Coming to you live from my apartment, it's Rob Has a Podcast. And now, here's the guy who just spent all last night spooning Keith, Rob Sesternino. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rob Has a Podcast. I am Rob Sesternino, and you are locked into what is going to be a little bit of a different experience for you guys enjoying the Survivor Podcast because we are breaking this up into not one, but two parts Just like if Val can have two idols, you can have two parts of our Survivor podcast today. Because here's what we're going to be doing. uh, That we had to reschedule the Todd cast. Todd couldn't do the interview this afternoon as we had originally scheduled it. But we are going to record with Todd tomorrow morning. So Friday morning, I'm going to be speaking with Todd now. But I figured since there's a lot of people that really look forward to getting the podcast out on Friday morning, people like to uh, drive to work or whatnot, I figured, uh, why don't we go ahead and do the voicemails tonight still, and then we'll get you part two with Todd Friday afternoon, so you can have that uh, listened to on the way home from work, maybe on Friday. So we're going to do that, and here with me to talk about everything and answer the voicemails, here he is. He went from that he was uh, batting cleanup to leading off. Here he is, the birthday guy, Antonio Mazzaro. Rob, how are you? You seem like a good old boy. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, I am. Am I your good old boy? If you want to be, man, <laughs> I, we don't have to be on different sides of this fire. All right. All right. Uh, Antonio, first off, happy birthday. And Thank you, Rob. yeah, Antonio, look at you. You are you are moved up. I like it. I, I am. You can just call me not Todd. You're not, not Todd. Yeah, so we'll talk to Todd. I got a lot of questions that you guys submitted on our Facebook page that we're going to ask him, but uh, we'll go ahead and maybe we can even get into a few more voicemails with Antonio because I won't be running out of gas now. And maybe, you know, there's a lot of people that probably never even got to the voicemail segment of a Survivor podcast. Yeah, let's dig deep. We're going to dig, dig deep. Dig woman. That's dig right. Dig woman. Okay, so uh, yeah, I don't have that set up and ready to go uh, yet, but Antonio, we're going to take lots of voicemails. Of course, this has been a very busy Thursday already. Uh, Earlier today, I spoke with John Rocker, and again, it, it sort of blew my mind. I was thinking back to myself watching like the all those games between the Mets and the Braves, uh, a la 1999. Uh, of course, the NLCS uh, Mets versus Braves. And the fact that I was having a conversation with John Rocker, still a little surreal. I, I can't imagine. I was surprised that you didn't tell him of your Mets fandom and let him know just where you were coming from. Yeah, you know, I sort of was having a hard time, like, uh, figuring out where the where the personal professional line is of, you know, of that stuff. You know, I felt like um, as a person trying to get an interview about Survivor, I felt like the fact that I really hate you as a baseball player, uh, I felt like that would have sort of colored the interview in a different way. Maybe I, uh, I could have mentioned it at the end, but I felt like... Uh, you know, I want to try to get the answers for, to some of these questions from the people and then to sort of like take it to a adversarial confrontational place wasn't the way I wanted to get into it. 
Yeah, it's endearing that you think John Rocker has a professional line. <laughs> yeah. That's really cute, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, we were talking about this uh, right before we went on the show about how uh, your perception of John Rocker has altered. And I, and I have to say, I think mine has too. And I, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I sense that yours did. You, you made some comments after your interview about what you thought about maybe how he had been perceived versus how he was. And there are times probably over the last 15 years where he's made my most hated people list. And it's interesting. I, I wouldn't put him on there now. Wait, you I, have the most that. hated people's list. Oh, you don't, you don't want to see <laughs> I, it's written in lipstick on my wall right now. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I've crossed some names off. It's okay. Good. But uh, no, I, I I like John Rocker now, I think. I don't like, everybody has a right to their own views and some of his views could be seen as bigoted or homophobic or some of the things that I really don't uh, cotton to and I don't have a good time with and I don't agree with. On the other hand, I, I think that there's a good chance that he's just a kind of guy who maybe shouldn't be opening his mouth all the time and he's getting dinged a lot for speaking without thinking. And he sort of is owning up to that and apologizing for things, saying that he regrets things. And candidly, when you talk about homophobia, we've seen things on Survivor from some beloved contestants and including this season, including this very episode, which could be labeled that way. So I feel it's sort of unfair to hang John Rocker with that news. Yeah, it sort of is. And I was having a conversation with uh, somebody named uh, Lauren on Twitter about that, who after if you didn't listen to my interview with John Rocker afterwards, I said, you know, it feels to me like in talking to John Rocker, you know, he's not coming from a, you know, angry place. You know, he just is like thinks he's being funny. And there's I I use the word a, a lightness to what he's saying. And, you know, Lauren on Twitter called me out and said, well, it sounds like you're defending John Rocker. And I don't want it to come across that way at all. But what I said back to her is that, no, I don't think that he's an angry guy like how I thought beforehand. Like I used to watch him like run out of the bullpen and I just thought he was like a lunatic a-hole. And I feel like, no, he's just he's just ignorant. And I wonder if he, how much of it is he, is he trying to play a character? Does he want to be hated? Is he like sort of like a Johnny Fairplay or somebody who likes being the person who's booed by everybody? Yeah, he reminded me a little bit of Fairplay. The thing is, I do think that Fairplay knows that he, the things that he's doing and saying are, are done and said to get a rise out of people. I think the problem with Rocker is he doesn't have a filter. And I do think his anger gets riled up pretty quickly. Look, he said some really inexcusable, indefensible things, including to listeners. Or Rob has a podcast sure, on Twitter. Sure. So he's, he is absolutely not, not guilty of really being an imbecile and all of the things that you might accuse him of being in that regard. However, that doesn't mean that it was the right move for his tribe to vote him off, that he was in any way the villain on that tribe, that he did anything wrong on Survivor that was in keeping with some image that we might have had of him outside of the show. I think that on Survivor, I looked at him and I'm, maybe it was the editing. I didn't really question his actions in most moments. He was kind of the one who was being targeted with the comments. And I think other people have observed this. Did he pop off in response? Yeah. I Ultimately, though, I have a little bit of a different opinion of John Rocker now. 
And it's it's the idea of actually seeing him and listening to him rather than reading about him or reading other people's vitriol, just letting him speak for himself for a little while. I have a little bit of a different opinion. That said, when he speaks for himself on Twitter, he really undoes a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. And I question whether or not he should have been on the show when Josh and I did the preview podcast. We talked about like, well, where is this going next? Are we going to are, are we going to have and I I forget uh, the the people that we've. Oh, Casey, <laughs> Anthony, Casey yeah. Anthony, right. Yeah, right. she's gonna be she's gonna be great with the jury, right? <laughs> so we said, you know, where where is this going ultimately with this stuff? But I kind of feel like you know, even though it was not a flattering picture that John Rocker you know put out there for everybody to see, you know, I feel like in getting to understand him a little bit more, I I sort of see that he's sort of like the guy in like the dunk tank at the fair who's just like yelling things out to people but i don't know if necessarily that you know he's the person who is you know uh you know yelling out like this hate speech because he's uh, a hateful person no, I mean, ultimately, his fate in this game was due to the fact that he trusted as his most trusted ally, a homosexual man, and he outed himself by giving his word and feeling really sorry and apologizing to an African-American man. So he he probably, it's, it's, it's the interesting title of the episode, The Actions Versus Accusations. I think it really does play out uh, with this episode and with John Rocker. And it's not to say the accusations aren't fair. It's not to say he's not done horrible things. He absolutely has. But maybe he's not guilty of everything that we've accused him of, or maybe not to the degree which he's been pilloried. And so I think that's where I think there's room for nuance when you get to know somebody a little better, when you maybe only saw them before in shades of black or white. Now you see him a little bit of gray. Yeah, it's interesting. And the fact that he says that he's become friends with Nadia after the fact. Yeah, right. I mean, I feel like that I would like to see some video of John Rocker hanging out with 20s. Careful now. They're, they might be pitching a show somewhere. <laughs> I think so. Pitching I think so. a show. Yeah, pitching I got it. There you go. All right. So uh, very, very interesting stuff. By the way, if you're new to Rob as a podcast and uh, wondering who Antonio is that we're talking to, I, I don't think I did you justice in giving you a great introduction. In addition to one, it's his birthday. Um, and no, that's not why people get to be on the show because it's their birthday. Um, it's it's not like when you go to Denny's and you get a free breakfast that all of a sudden you, it's your birthday. You get to be on Rob as a podcast. No, we can't do that. But we'd like to, though. This is my grand slam. <laughs> yeah. It's delicious. No, but a- Antonio has been a uh, a friend for the uh, last few years. We actually met through the podcast. Uh, Antonio and I have been podcasting together now for uh, about a year and a half. We started doing podcasts uh, last summer. We podcast the final season of Breaking Bad here on Rob Has a Podcast. Uh, and uh, Antonio has also done some podcasting with us on Game of Thrones and on Lost and is the co-host of the Boardwalk Empire post-show recap with Jeremiah Panhorst. How is that going for you, the final season of Boardwalk Empire? It's going great, Rob. We, I've, I've talked about the leftovers and the strain with Josh Wiggler and those. Oh, that's right. Those shows, those shows have varying degrees of drama and satisfaction, in some cases a lack thereof. Boardwalk Empire is a show that's kind of a slow burn, and it's been slow burning for five seasons now. They know it's their final season. They know they've got to stick the landing. So we're seeing a lot of storylines from the years that have been built up. We're seeing them come to a close. It is also the favorite show of one Stephen Fishback. Oh, I didn't know that. That is a lie. He, he is very 
angry oh, by Boardwalk Empire. Yes, he, he, he hate watches it, I think. I think he has a couple of shows that he hate watches. I think Mad Men is also uh, very high on the list. He's being a madman with this Boardwalk <laughs> Empire hate. But it's, it, yeah, we're, we're really enjoying podcasting about it. Myself and Jeremiah Panhorst, who podcast about Mad Men of the Great Mad Men podcast. So we've been talking about Boardwalk Empire, Al Capone's hijinks. They, there's, a lot, uh, there's a lot to be learned from Nucky Johnson, Nucky Thompson, and, and Al Capone. So we're learning those lessons and talking about them with our listeners. Okay. Well, I have not yet started to watch the final season of Boardwalk Empire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch up soon. I missed the first one and then. And uh, now I'm now I'm behind. So I have them all on my DVR. I will be catching up. So speaking of catching up, let's catch up with the listeners. Of Rob has a podcast. We're going to go through your voicemails and then check in with what the survivors are saying on social media as well. So I got a lot, a lot of voicemails. So uh, what do you say? Do should we should we dig in? Let's dig in. Let's do it. Dig Rob. Dig woman. Yes, we're digging. We're digging, Antonio. Let's dig deep. Dig deep. You got to you got to dig deep. Woman. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's go ahead and let's start off our journey into the the voicemails. How about why don't we start and let's start way over on the other side of Rob has a planet. Let's start in Australia and let's check in with what Mar has to say cuz she has a question about the wisdom of throwing challenges in Survivor Blood versus Water. Hey Rob, it's Mar from Melbourne. Um, I was just wondering, do you think it's a good idea for players who are at the bottom of their tribe and someone like Jacqueline, who knows she's probably going home next, to somehow let her partner know she's in trouble in the hopes that John will throw the challenge, uh, without being too obvious, of course. I just think Jacqueline could realize that John is probably not going to be the first person voted out of his tribe. Um, and John would maybe want to... St- want to save his wife and it would actually benefit them both if john's tribe went to tribal so what do you reckon okay first off mar fiance slow your roll they're not married not married trying to trying to create a situation this is like jordan jeff and jordan here (laughs) yeah Jack, Big brother fame jacqueline paid mar five bucks to call in and say uh that she was john's wife i like it i like it. it's a good plan (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So uh, this is interesting though. And I don't think this came up on the first survivor blood versus water, right? Where a tribe would consider throwing a challenge or somebody would want the tribe to throw a challenge to save their loved one who could be on the chopping block. Yeah, that it's, it is very interesting. You probably would want to work out something in advance before you went to the Island, some sort of hand signal or something like that to, to kind of put this plan into motion. So it wouldn't be so obvious because it obviously jeopardizes the throw or uh, as much as it jeopardizes the throwee if they if they if they get found out and that is exposed but one of the things you worry about with blood versus water is these are these pairs and and that's why we see people getting voted out when they still have a loved one left or we we saw it last year with Rachel and Tyson when voting Rachel out as a means of getting at Tyson so we we could see some sort of plotting and planning. That said, I don't think Jacqueline is the one to hatch this plan. What do you think? <laughs> I don't think so either. You know, one of the one of the things that came up a little bit last night. I don't have any voicemails about it, but some people I saw online were saying that when Jacqueline wasn't being a uh, less than smart 
player at tribal council because she was referring to that it was Dale who was going to get votes. I think we touched on this on the know-it-alls last night a a little bit. Do you put any credence into that, that no, Jacqueline wasn't talking about the plan to vote out John Rocker. She was actually reinforcing John Rocker's belief that the plan had changed to vote out Dale instead of one of the women. Well, that certainly wasn't the what the edit meant us to believe because they kept showing John's reactions as though he was quite shocked by what she was saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that said, he didn't seem like he was he didn't seem like he was actually thinking you should play his idol. So maybe that was what happened. Yeah. And so I don't buy that. I went back and I watched the episode and I think that she's actually like what she's saying doesn't exactly jive with uh, that with that thinking, you know, because, yeah, isn't there like a grow a set or grow a pair? Isn't that kind of what she says? I feel I thought that Baylor says that. Oh, Baylor does say that. Yeah. And not Jacqueline. But I think that she is uh, talking about, you know, she's seeing some some shifting in her tribe and maybe alliances are forming differently. I, I don't know. I, it did not sound like she was talking about the direction that things would be going to get rid of Dale. Yeah. And I don't think so either. They, and I, I don't think they ever really took that plan that seriously. And John didn't vote for Dale. He voted for Baylor. Yeah. So he didn't think that was the plan that was in place when he went to tribal either. So if he's hearing that from her, I don't know. Is he thinking that he's got them snowed and she's thinking that, Uh, that she should vote for. uh, There's a lot of, it's giving a lot of credit to a lot of people who survivor gameplay has not revealed them to be that brilliant. Let's put it that way. Right. And I think that in these pairs, I think there's the one of the pair that kind of has seen the show before. And then there's their plus one. And Jacqueline is certainly the plus one in the John and Jacqueline pair. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. So I don't think she really has too much of an idea of what's going on. And But in the first Survivor Blood versus Water, we didn't see this ever come up because I feel like you had the veterans who were all like diehard, like ready to go for the most part. And then you had the loved ones who were sort of, you know, happy to be there, but they weren't sort of like hatching a plan of like, well, let me try to throw a challenge because I know I'm safe over here and my loved one could be in, in danger. But I feel like this is a season where if that was going to happen, it could happen. But how would you signal this to the other group and not get bubbled? If you remember, Antonio, all the way yes. back in Survivor Vanuatu, there was a similar situation where you had the men's group, the Fat Five, uh, as they were dubbed back in the day. They were on on one side, and then you had the women's tribe, and then there was a swap, and it was only Bubba and Rory that were with a bunch of the women, and they needed to signal for Bubba to try to get his original tribe to throw the, to throw the challenge. And he, and he got to the challenge, and he blurted out, Hey, think about the merge! And they were not thinking about the merge. And that really alienated uh, Amy and some of the other women that were on on his new tribe. And he wasn't supposed to be the one voted out, but they ultimately did vote him out then after that. Yeah. And is this this is uh, I I feel like Eliza had a pretty good she she kind of sniffed out some parts of this or was really I feel like if I remember correctly, she was kind of hip to what was happening. You know, I don't remember Eliza's specific reaction, but Antonia, what a, what a great segue, because I could tell you that as I know you are a lawyer, um, you have a lawyer's alliance with Eliza, naturally, and she will be our guest next week on Rob as a podcast. 
Well, that's fantastic. Yes. I love Eliza. Yeah, she's always got some hot takes. Hot takes, that's right. She did the voicemails last season, and I said, you know what? We're missing an opportunity here. We're, bump- we're bumping her, just like we bumped up Antonia. We're bumping up Eliza, too. She will be the full guest of the recap show next Thursday on Rob as a Podcast. That's fantastic. I can't wait. It'll be fun. So we can ask her about if somebody is going to try to pull a Bubba this season. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. But it's, again, how you get back to that Bubba problem of the Bubba conundrum of how do you get send a message to the other tribe and not get busted? We saw John Rocker wrestle with this same issue with how do you tell Jeremy that, boy, hey, it wasn't my fault that Val got voted off. I tried to. It ended up pissing off his tribe. John Rocker told me this morning that he felt like that was the biggest factor for Josh of why Josh wanted to turn against him because he had lost faith in John Rocker after John Rocker blurted out that thing to Jeremy. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it is. You can't. The cross tribal talk is really a kind of a unique feature of blood versus water. It seems to be something that probes encourages and that people are really open to doing there. We saw the F.U. bread call pepper from Marissa in seasons past. Wasn't that we Candace? Have, I, see, this is the thing. <laughs> I, it, it seems to be a hotly debated subject <laughs> on our patron group and across the Internet. I, I threw it out there for Marissa just to just to get just to, for you to take that bait. Rob. It's, <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, there's some question of whether that Marissa was actually the one that said F.U. bread call pepper and Candace gets the credit for it. But I was just thinking about this, Antonio. I think I've actually cracked this. And maybe this is a scenario that we could see this season because what is the great equalizer is the exile island. So you could have somebody go to Exile Island. You're sending them with a friend of yours, somebody that you think would be good to talk to your loved one and say, hey, could you send a message back? I'm going to be the next one voted out of the tribe. Can you guys throw this next challenge that's coming up? Because otherwise I'm going to be the one that goes home. And if you think that you guys are safe over there, then throwing this challenge would actually be, would really help me out. And then when we get to the merge, your loved one, my loved one, we'll all get together and we can do this. So I, I think that this could be something that's very interesting will it happen this season i don't know but yeah something to think about and there there are good opportunities look there's some there's some fat to cut from from is this another bubba joke no well not quite no (laughs) it could be i guess it could be i don't uh i didn't necessarily plan it to be that way i feel like you're amy and you're you're catching me out here i I think that was (laughs) amy that i remember wait i don't know if he put it back on well, that's good. He he didn't spend enough time on the island to really get island hot. So he needed. <laughs> cute. He was I guess cute. he was he was cute, and he well, he wasn't dateable. I don't think, if I remember, he correctly. did not make the merge. He did no. not make the merge. So he had to do something, I guess. But no, there there are there's some room to cut in in, in the, the dominant tribe here. So I could see that happening. I could see them being okay with throwing a challenge uh, to, to get rid of somebody that they didn't like telling them how to weave palm fronds because the rain was coming and then falling asleep. Yeah. All right. Let's go to our next voicemail. Uh, off to a good start there. Thank you, Mar, for uh, getting us kicked off well. Uh, let's go ahead and let's go to Megan. And Megan wants to talk about Reed and Josh and our thoughts on them so far. Here's Megan. Hey, Rob, this is Megan from Ohio. I just wanted to know what you were thinking so far about your pick Reed scheme. Also, on the flip side, how do you feel about Josh? Do you think his edit makes him likely to be a winner or more likely to be an early boot? Thanks. Love the podcast. Bye. Antonio, Megan, in your neck of the woods. 
Yeah, I was going to say, Mars from Melbourne. I am from Melbourne, Kentucky. <laughs> oh. So there's a lot of synergy there. And now in my neck of the woods, Ohio, too. I'm right in northern Kentucky, right? But I feel like I'm giving out too much personal information here, Rob. <laughs> We're going to triangulate your position now. Uh, this is not good. Jack Bauer's going to be knocking at my door any second. Everybody's going to come in by and uh, give you a birthday present. I'm okay with that, then. I'll, t- <laughs> I'll, I'll give my address out right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Reed and Josh. Now... I feel like Josh is somebody that has gotten a lot of airtime. Reed has been the one that has been tougher to get a good take on. Oh, wait a minute. I, I, <laughs> how did you not say Reed? I, 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 I Roos Bolton'd you. You really, you really did. That was, that was a nice move. It was a nice move. <laughs> so anyway, um, what's, what's your take on, on these two? Reed was my pick going in. I, I'm still feeling good about Reed. Yeah, I that's interesting. It, the 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 point that is made there about the edit is is what I'm kind of tracking because I think everybody uh everybody <laughs> with Josh's group is in a little bit of trouble when they get to the merge because they really are going to be down numbers. But there are a couple that could that could swing either way uh, into dominant alliances or to help them cut some of the fat from the other tribe like we talked about. So I think that Josh is smart enough. He knows enough about the show. And his edit seems to be giving him a lot of screen time. That said, their tribe has also gone to tribal council every single time. So we've seen a lot more of Josh's strategy, and we haven't seen a chance for to, to really see Reed play it out. We've only seen, as Stephen Fishback has put it, Reed being balletic. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Stephen I don't Fishback. know. What, you, you feel good about your Reed pick still. I'm interested to know why you still feel good about it. Because he seems like he's not pissing anybody off. He seems like he's athletic and he doesn't seem like he's a target. And it seems like he knows the game. So it's more for a lack of seeing anything that's making me say, oh, boy, I'm worried about my pick. I feel like he's hanging in there. He's on the tribe that never seems to go to tribal council. And I feel like he's sort of just, uh, you know, in there right now. And I feel like that his story is yet to be told. So I'm not feeling nervous about him. Like if he got voted off this upcoming week, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, the with Hunapu not voting anyone out yet, it does seem like they're going to target probably someone. Julie seems to be on the outs, but now that John is gone, if she's a, a really strong and smart player, she can say, you don't have to worry about me anymore. I'm not going to pair up with anybody at the merge. We need to get rid of someone like Drew, whose brother Alec is strong and is sitting over there waiting for this merge. So if she's a good enough player or someone like Natalie is going to suggest the same thing, I think that Reed should skate through to the merge. And then once he gets to the merge, I think that he'll be in a a good position to do well. And you're right. We just haven't seen much of anything other than Jeremy from Hunapu. Now, as far as Josh goes, I think he is also the one that it might be even more difficult to get a good take on because is he getting a lot of airtime because he is going to be out soon? Or is he getting a lot of airtime because he is going to be one of the major players this season? Yeah, I think that's the question. And he certainly has been the the person making moves on Koyopa up to this point, right? Yes, he has been yeah. the biggest mover and shaker in that tribe. So it makes sense that we're seeing him more than anyone from that tribe because we've seen them go to tribal council three times now and we've seen the moves that he's made be the the questionable moves, whether it's changing the vote, whether it's throwing the hinky vote out there, whether it's ultimately leading the force against John and and the blind side uh, in this third episode. Josh has been sort of the prime mover. So I don't think you could tell the story of those those councils without, uh, without telling them from Josh's point of view. 
You know what, though? The one thing that I really found very interesting on my rewatch of the show was the way that the story was told in some ways from Baylor's POV. Like I thought I, that, too. I felt like they didn't need to include her take on this. I felt like we could have seen the story completely from Josh's POV. But, you know, we like the take that we got from Baylor. Also, I did not even feel like was accurate that she came back from tribal council. She's like, hey. I can't just be relying on Josh. I got votes tonight. You know, I could have gone home. Like, I need to start playing the game for myself. I'm not just going to do what Josh wants me to do. The total irony about that is that it was by the grace of Josh that she was saved at Tribal Council. And had it not been for Josh's actions, she would have gone home potentially. Yeah, it, and it is. Well, she's 20 years old. She's not unintelligent. She seems to be thinking a lot more clearly than I'd expected. But that said, she is tagging some of this to Josh because of that first tribal council, I think, because he said, oh, well, I had to vote for you. I, I thought it would I thought it would make sense to, to keep us stronger going forward. And she seems to have been hurt by that and really has been taking that and carrying that forward. But you're right. The fact that we saw a little bit of her point of view there, and we also saw her with Jacqueline kind of sort of whipping things differently and trying to talk to Alec and Wes about getting John out so that it wasn't just Josh's plan, that it was also what Baylor was really trying to rally Alec and Wes to do. And I I think that that was interesting. You're right. They didn't have to tell that story that way. But the fact that they did tells me that there's, there's a story to be told with Baylor coming up, too. I don't know exactly what it'll be. Yeah. And as far as Josh's game goes, I feel like uh, I'd say cue up the meatloaf because I think I'm going to give him I think he had two good weeks and and one bad one. I think that that first vote, I still think that was too cute what he did. I think he should have just voted off Nadia. Who cares if John Rocker was thinking that they were he was going to be too close with Baylor. He ended up, I think, alienating Baylor to a degree. And then I think his play the last two weeks has been good. And I think he made the right call. But I feel like that first week was still too cute. I think so, too. And what I'm not sure about, which we haven't really seen, is how he seems to be very confident in Baylor. He said she was my first ally. She was the first person I chose. And so he seems to be very trusting of her. And I don't know that he's recognized the damage that he's done to her and how that that is affecting their alliance. So I wonder, could it be a very interesting story where his vote that saved her in the second tribal council could be something that turns around and bites him later if she stabs him in the back? All right, I want to take a question now from Alex. And he has something that I think is a very fascinating subject. And let, let's go ahead and bring in Alex from New York. Hey, Rob, this is Alex from New York. Had a great time at the Live Know-It-All show last week, and I got a question for you this week. How is it possible that the Blue Tribe convinced the Orange Tribe to vote out their strongest player? Is there any way this could have happened on any other season of Survivor? Shouldn't the Orange Tribe feel so stupid right now? The Blue Tribe has been smoking them in the immunity challenges all season, and they literally just convinced the Orange Tribe to vote out the strongest guy on their team, who is not a strategic threat in any way. Shouldn't the Blue Tribe be back at camp high-fiving each other over this when they find out, and not just because they got John Rocker out of the game, but because of how good of a move it actually was for them in reality? Thanks, Rob. All right, so Alex brings up a good point of how big of a win was this for the Blue Tribe? Hunapu? Hunapu. Hunapu. I think it was a pretty big win. This is uh, that this is what they were pushing for, and I don't know that there was a ton of strategy in it. Jeremy was really stirring the pot when he got back to camp because he seemed to be emotional about what happened with Val. So he wasn't stirring the pot about John Rocker, who he knew 
Uh, he knew who John Rocker was. He wasn't stirring the pot about John Rocker before Val was voted out. He was only doing it afterwards. And I think it was just to get John out as revenge on John. I don't think it was some great plan to to weaken the orange shot. Look, they weren't winning with John. So I, I don't know that losing John makes them any less likely to win because they weren't winning with him. But that said, it, it we can talk all day long. And I know you guys did at, at last night at Know-It-Alls about the the brilliance of the move for the orange tribe for Koyopa. I don't think it was the the smartest play. Even Alec himself was saying it during the episode last night. Why were we, why are we going to vote out someone so athletic? So I don't know. It's uh, I just don't think there's a lot of strategy in it by Hunapu. It seemed more emotional, but it it is a very good move for, for them to, to weaken Koyopa like that. Don't you think? Yeah, this decision, I've really been thinking a lot about this during the day today. You know, it's been one of the things that I, I really was trying to wrap my head around. And I think that maybe the disconnect is because that I think I for, keep forgetting that it's a blood versus water season. And so I'm wondering if the people like like Josh are saying, you know what? Let me just get down to my core group of people that I feel good about. And even if we're down in the numbers, it doesn't matter if we have John Rocker or not, because as long as I control the vote in the pre-merge part of the game and I control the fact that I make the merge, when I get to the merge, that my boyfriend isn't going to vote me off. So I know that me and the members of my alliance that still have their loved ones in the game. And if you take a look at the people in that alliance uh, that you have, you have, uh, you have uh, <laughs> Baylor and Muffin is still in the game. Of course, Muffin is still in the game. Yeah. And then you have you have uh, Wes and Keith is still in the game. You have Alec and Drew is uh, still in the game. And, and then you have Jacqueline, who has John still in the game. So you have this group of five people now who all have their loved ones still in the game. And they may just be saying like, hey, let me just control the vote from here on out. And we could vote out Dale next time if we go to, tr- if we go to Tribal Council. We could vote out Jacqueline Hell if we have to. And then if we get down to the merge and we, and we merge, say, 7-3 or something like that, if Josh is controlling who's going to be going home, you could still swing the loved ones over. So it's not like you're going into a situation where you're going to get potentially pagonged by your loved ones. Right. I, I know that's what, that's what Probston, or that's what Jeff Probston Survivor would want to play up, that people are willing to vote out their loved ones. But you're right. The natural alliances are already there. And another person with a decent read on it could probably see that Julie is on the outs in that group. When, when you see them kind of confronting each other, at that tribal or at, at the uh, immunity challenge, rather, we, you can kind of see that Julie's a little bit on the outs and that she's that they're really picking on John and that's what they want. So I don't think they would be saying, hey, vote out John if Julie was in the dominant alliance or she was controlling that tribe in any way. So you, you kind of figure out you're not hurting yourself by voting John out because you're not making an enemy of more than one person. If you're alienating Julie, you're 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 voting against a loved one whose loved one on the other tribe is already on the out. So you're not making any enemies there either. What's going to happen next with Julie? Because I could see this going one of two ways for her. Does Julie continue to have to pay the toll for the sins of John Rocker? Does her tribe punish her for what John Rocker did? And it's really, really interesting because the two people that are the most anti-John Rocker in 
Natalie and in Jeremy, those are the two people that also have their loved ones lost. So if we were to see, like in the original Blood versus Water, where Tyson and Monica and Jervis all got together because their loved ones were gone, there's going to have to be some sort of amending offenses between Julie and Natalie and Jeremy. Yeah, in that example, does that make Natalie Tyson? <laughs> I'd have to think about it. Well, you I think, have. I think it makes Jeremy Tyson. Well, I don't and know. So, actually, actually I, I mean, I'm just going by the first person voted off. So Julie's definitely Monica. And then there's some question over uh, is Jeremy Tyson or is he Jervis? I think that that Jervis is Nadia. As is, is Natalie. 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 Yeah, yes. I think you're right. I think you're right. Jeremy's Tyson. I like that. Yeah. The the numerical order works and the person who's the leader of the alliance works. I like that. I yeah. like that. I was I was hoping we could compare the flowing flowing locks of Natalie to the flowing locks of, of Tyson Apostle, but <laughs> yeah. such is life. Yeah. So that's going to be really, really interesting to see how the uh, alliances shake out from here. Yeah, if you're Jeremy or Natalie, you're you're probably not seeking to get rid of Julie if you're really thinking it through because you're right, Drew could form up with Alec and and the the crazy thing about this this dynamic is it shifts. Every time you get to Hero Arena and you see who the other tribe has voted out, your view of it might shift. Maybe you maybe you weren't looking at Julie as somebody that you needed to align with if you're Jeremy or if you're Natalie. But when you see that it was a loved one that was it wasn't Josh, it wasn't Wes, it wasn't somebody that has lost another lo- that you know that is still strong on your tribe, maybe you look at Julie differently and say, "Well, this is my natural ally now because everyone else has a loved one and we don't." Let's stick with Julie questions uh, for a little bit. Let's jump to Amy. Uh, Amy from Atlanta. She has a Julie question. Hi, this is Amy from Atlanta. On the know-it-all, Stephen said that Julie was getting an inordinate amount of airtime. So my question is, do you think it's Julie who quits the game since she is getting so much airtime? Thanks. Love the podcast. Okay, Antonio, we're going back to that super tease where there was some sort of dialogue that somebody was going to quit the game. And assuming that we weren't just being thrown for a loop, do you think that potentially Julie could quit the game based on what we've seen so far? She could. I don't think she came out to Survivor, though, to to quit. I, I don't know if she was kind of drug along, kicking and screaming, and they really obviously wanted John Rocker. Uh, and so they brought her in because she's... She's a good person to put on a blood versus water season. I don't know if that's true. So if if she never really wanted to be on Survivor anyway, I could see that happening. I could see her tribe really just putting her on the outs. But I I can't remember who it was, if it was if it was Missy, a.k.a. Muffin or not. But somebody was really going out of their way to console her when she went off into the jungle crying on this episode. Yeah. So she's not a. She's not a total outcast. She, she there I don't there's been some talk on on the episodes about whether or not we should hold her accountable for the sins of John Rocker and her tribe seems to be debating that uh still in the moment. So I think she's capable of rising above it. Look, she's she knows who she's dating. She's she's used to dealing with this. So this is not a surprise to her when John Rocker runs his mouth and causes blowback onto her. I guess we'll just have to see. I don't I don't I but I can't come up with another really good candidate for a quit. There's a lot of younger women and there are a lot of men who are questionable commitment to the game. So I suppose it could be anybody. I don't know why Julie's getting a lot of airtime though. Maybe it's just cause she's her story about being John Rocker's girlfriend is a little bit compelling. 
I don't think that Julie's going to quit the game. I think that, especially from talking to John Rocker, that I heard him say, I, I forget if it was in my interview with him or if I heard him in a different interview, but he's talking about how Julie wanted to be, really be on the show. You know, and and he was the one that sort of got, you know, dragged along into it. Actually, I think it was I think this was I watched uh, Kim Sprodlin. Uh, she did an interview with John Rocker and they had asked why. How did you get involved with this? And I think that he said he was asked to do it and his girlfriend really wanted to do it. So I think he's actually the plus one in this situation. Interesting. Well, I love that Kim Sprodlin. She always gets the good answers. She gets to the bottom of things. Yes. Okay. Uh, she works for uh, Ken and she's on uh, Ken's TV station. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's go ahead. Let's go up to uh, the our, our friends to the north. Here's Ron Chan. Uh, Ron from Toronto. He's Ron who puts the Ron in Toronto. Here we go. Let's go to let's go to Ron. Hi, Rob and Antonio. It's Ron from Toronto. What has a better chance of happening? Julie winning Survivor this season or Kelly getting a confessional during next week's episode? <laughs> Ron from Toronto, he always gives you like the, you know, you're sort of like on a long road trip with like a six-year-old. And like, uh, so what What would have a better chance of happening? Which would all of the apples in the world turn turn yellow or would somebody come down from space and uh, Melissa Etheridge came out and then her daughter was on Survivor uh, it's always like a <laughs> what would be more would this happen or would this happen I love it <laughs> all right so the, the question is what's more likely to happen is Julie more likely to win Survivor or is Kelly more likely to get a confessional I'm going to go with Kelly. More likely to get a confessional. What do we call Kelly if she doesn't get confessionals? Well, we can't call her Purple Kelly, can we? <laughs> what do we call her? <laughs> we need a new name. What is she wearing? Like a I forget. I don't. I don't remember what she's wearing. We can call her Hunapu Kelly. I don't know. Hunapu Kelly. That doesn't really roll off the tongue. Doesn't really. Okay. Um, I would say, boy. What are the chances that she's going to get a confessional? Here, here's what here's what I think. I think it's possible if you look at the way Koyopa is shaking out. If I'm Kelly, I think maybe Dale might have a little bit of a problem next on that tribe. Mm-hmm. You can see that he's the outsider among the five, and so I see that there's a possibility that she could say something like, "I I'm worried about my dad. I I didn't want to lose that challenge, but now that we have, I'm worried he's going home." I can see a quick five or ten second confessional to to set up the fact that Dale might be in jeopardy if Koyopa's going to council. Hmm. What are the chances that Julie's going to win the game? Just in a vacuum. What do you say? 5%? She's one of, what, 9, 15 players left? Yeah. So she's got about a 1 in 15 chance. 1 in 15 chance? Okay. Yeah, maybe even less than that. Maybe even even less than that. And what are the chances that Kelly is going to get a confessional next week? I think a little greater. Like I said, I can see, I, I don't think, I think that Hunapu will continue their winning ways unless they feel compelled to throw this challenge. And so I can see the setup being that Dale could be on the outs and I can see Kelly getting confessional there. Okay. So yeah, I think that the chances are better that right. Kelly will get a confessional next week. But if you told me that you thought that there was a better chance Julie was going to win the season, I, I wouldn't say you were crazy. I based on what we've seen so far, I, I I feel like that would be that would be fair to say. Yeah, that would be fair. Okay, so a uh, good question, Ron from Toronto. Okay, let's go to Felix, who has a question that involves an international season of Survivor and a twist that they've done 
on International Survivor. Here's Felix. All right. Hi, Rob. This is Felix from Brazil. And uh, with John Rocker being voted out, it seems that one more big athlete has been gone pretty early. And um, recently I stumbled, I stumbled upon a season of Survivor South Africa, where what they did is they had each each tribe have a professional athlete as their captain right from the start. And these captains, they couldn't be voted out, and they also couldn't vote. So they were just there to captain their teams during the challenges. And um, there's also a, a different dynamic after the merge. I was just wondering your thoughts. Do you think this is a better or worse way to incorporate the, these athletes into Survivor? Thank you. Okay, so... Felix has been watching Survivor South Africa and they brought in some famous athletes to sort of be like captains for the teams. Would Survivor be better served if instead of making John Rocker a player, should that we have some sort of a professional athlete or celebrity captain of a team? I I wouldn't like to see that. I I think if you're going to put athletes in the game, you have to... You you run a very interesting gamut if you cast someone like John Rocker, who is well-known and a lightning rod and open to criticism. Cliff Robinson, Uncle Cliffy, he was kind of under the radar, even though he was a very tall man. Jeff Kent was so under the radar that he could keep it a, almost a perfect secret. So I think they're better suited when they, when they stay under the radar in that regard. And uh, I think they're better off casting athletes who don't pop up. I don't think that survivors in the game of wanting to make sure these athletes stay uh, in the game for a very long time. I think we hear about stunt casting or we, we, we talk about bringing some eyes to the show before the merge. I think really that's why survivors putting some of these athletes in the game. And I think that they can continue to do that and, and it will be fine. I think people will still tune in and the athletes will have served their purpose. Yeah, so you feel like they're sort of cannon fodder anyway, so they bring in an athlete and then we do a podcast of like, here's the seven things you need to know about this season. And it's like, former NFL quarterback Neil O'Donnell is on this season of Survivor. Can you believe it? I I can believe it. And everybody <laughs> out there is saying, oh, Neil, what are you doing? He said, like, well, I uh, I run a bait shop in Waukesha, Minnesota. And uh, that's I uh, just keep a real low profile. You've probably never seen me anywhere before. Yeah. Um, yeah Neil, you seem to be in very good shape. I don't know. Yeah. Can we just make real quick a I'm, I'm sure we've done this before on the podcast. Can we make just like a, a bucket list of the people, the, the former athletes we want to get on Survivor in the next five years? Yeah, who who is who is who's number one on your list? Um, somebody that's very high on the list for me is uh, Chad Ochocinco. That's my boy, Chad Ochocinco, my <laughs> Bengals. I think that's be very very high on the list. I feel like he's very gettable. And he would he would be good TV in that he would be great in the confessionals. He's done reality TV before, so he's familiar with it. He probably he's been on Hard Knocks twice. He had the che- the Chad Ocho and To show. He's I think he's even had a dating show, so. He's familiar with it. I think he'd be good TV. You're right. He would be gettable. He is probably a recognizable character, though. And uh, I think there there would be a lot of perception that he's got a lot of money, which I believe would be patently false. Yes. But uh, but I think, yeah, he would be he would be real good TV. I, w- I would like I would love to see my, my boy Ocho Cinco on Survivor. OK, tell me if I am maybe, you know, setting the bar too high. Charles Barkley. 
that I think the bar is a little too high. I think the bar is a little too high. He would be. Could we get maybe Keenan Thompson as Charles Barkley? <laughs> Keenan Thompson. <laughs> Can we get Keenan Thompson in the next five years. But as Charles Barkley, I would. I would. I would just like to see him as Charles Barkley and have people say, you know, I. I don't really think that's Charles Barkley. I've only seen him on TV, so maybe the camera makes him look a little different. He seems it, the the baldness doesn't look real. It looks like a wig. Hmm. <laughs> Let us know in the comments if you have anybody on your athlete wish list. Yeah, I feel like you have. Are there any ex-Mets, Rob, that you would just love to see on or ex-Jets that you would love to see on Survivor? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, somebody that would be be good. Probably more of the Mets, I think, would be sort of wacky. The Met, you know, Mets players historically are have, you know, all sorts of quirky personalities guys like Turk Wendell and stuff like that so I feel like uh you'd probably be able to come up with some uh some good Mets what about I like Benny Agbayani oh Benny Agbayani would be great that would be good or maybe Edgardo Alfonso I think would be oh, good oh no Edgardo Alfonso I think actually uh, coaches within the Mets organization but uh Benny Agbayani would be <laughs> that would be a great get yeah, I think that if they that that would be that would be my Mets pick. I think if I had to, if I had to dig deep for a Mets player, I think I think I would like to see that. I believe he's like uh, some kind of Pacific Islander heritage yes. too. So you could maybe do Survivor Agbayani. You could even name the tribe Agbayani, and I don't think people would recognize him. Yeah, that'd be great. Agbayani, gotta dig deep. Yeah, um, I yeah, I believe I believe he was Hawaiian. I I think he used to wear number fifty uh, in honor of the state of Hawaii. Oh, good call. Yeah, that, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. So uh, we could we could do a whole a whole bunch of uh, just throw out random uh, Mets names. Uh, Derek Jeter. How about him? The Derek, the the captain. Oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> yeah. I don't, maybe. Well, that's what uh, that's what Felix was saying. They brought in captains. I can't you imagine just all oh, the grit and the hustle and the heart and the determination. Oh, and how low key his tribe would be while they went about there. But give me a break. I'm so over the Derek Jeter. <laughs> What about John Wetland? <laughs> he would just tell people his name was John Rocker. <laughs> yeah. I, I never, what's, what's your last name? Rocker. How do you spell that? R-O-K-E-R. Yeah. John Franco. <laughs> any, any of these guys. Oh, Johnny Franco. That would be pretty good. Yeah. He could hold four coconuts in one hand at the same time. <laughs> he could do that. Well, I, I know he could hold like 10 baseballs. So four coconuts wouldn't be too much for him. I don't think. Okay. All right. Um, I think we've lost a good portion of the audience uh, at this point, but, uh, but we're having a good time. We're having a great, we're having a great time. Uh, best birthday ever. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and uh, let's jump into our next uh, voicemail and uh, let's go ahead and take one. Actually uh, real quick before I do that, um, just go back to this athlete twist. What if it was instead of athletes? What if it was former Survivor All Stars? Let's let's say you did the Boston Robin Russell season. They were captains. They couldn't get voted out. But better or worse? It wouldn't surprise me to see Survivor go down that route at some point. It's I basically think that, Big Brother fourteen. It's basically Big Brother fourteen with the coaches twist, and you'd hate to see there there be some twist where they could actually be part of the game after the merge. But maybe they would know that that was the rule going in, and. The question would be, could they build loyalty and alliance within their tribe pre-merge such that when they were eligible to be voted out post-merge, they weren't immediately targeted or voted out because whatever work they could do pre-merge was enough to strengthen them post-merge. That would actually be interesting, I think, in some ways. I You can't have somebody like Russell because he's probably going to alienate a large portion of the tribe he's coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it'd be fun to watch. 
It would be fun to watch. And I, I don't think we're going to, I mean, I think survivor is still capable of putting on compelling television without digging that, digging that far down into the well, <laughs> but uh, w- whether they're going to be there in five years or so, I don't know. Yeah. Dig woman. Yeah. How, how far do you, we have to dig? Well, not, not, maybe not very far. <laughs> okay. Let's go ahead and take a question from Kayla who wants to talk about our 20 Natalie. Hit us Kayla. Hi, Rob. This is Kayla. I'm leaving you a message from Canada about episode three of Survivor. Okay. Do you think that Jeremy and Natalie are kind of hurting themselves with all these blowups? I mean, Jeremy basically got exposed that he was making deals with the other side. And Natalie basically called out the whole other tribe for not having balls. I think she's going to look back on that and it could cost her. She's not playing nice with the other side. And if there's a swap... It could be trouble. And same thing with Jeremy. Just wanted to know your thoughts. You know, this is going back to what we were talking about. The people that have loved ones in the game, the people that don't have loved ones in the game. And you have, so you have two of these two people that have lost their loved ones and they're kind of being jerks to the other tribe. Whereas the people who do have loved ones in the game are not being jerks to the other tribe. And in some ways they have nothing to lose, but could we end up seeing a situation where all of the pairs of loved ones get back together and start picking off the people who were sort of the rabble rousers to all the people that were on the Kaiopa tribe? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I don't know that I would call it a mistake. I, the, the thing is I, there was a lot of hooting and hollering going on after that immunity challenge. And I, feel, I feel like Drew was getting involved. I couldn't tell if Reed was getting involved. I think John might've been getting involved. There were a lot of people that were getting bumped by jump, by Rocker. There were a lot of people that Jeremy had kind of riled up, and nobody was saying, that that's Jeremy. He's crazy for going after John Rocker. They were all rallying to his cause. So I think for them to be in trouble, the, the question that I had and is whether or not they were really getting themselves in trouble with Koyopa, but Koyopa went and cut out John. They did exactly what Hunapu was saying they needed to do. So... Ultimately, I I don't know that they feel like they can blame Jeremy and Natalie for being upset. All it's going to take is for Hunapu to go to tribal council once before someone on Koyopa, like a Dale or Josh or a Wes, loses their loved one and starts to feel the same sort of anger. So I think it's understandable and it's inherent, and I don't think it'll be held against them by Koyopa. Would it be bad for their tribe that that it's getting exposed, for example, that Jeremy's trying to tell John to take care of his his uh, his wife? I it wouldn't it it shouldn't surprise anybody that the whole point of sending people from opposite tribes to exile island is to have that sort of gameplay that's going on pre-merge this cross-pollination of the tribes so i don't think anybody should be surprised by that i don't think if you if you sent reed to if you sent reed to koyopa and you sent baylor i'm sure they're going to talk about josh a whole lot so i don't think anybody should be too surprised by what's going on okay all right, so let's go ahead and let's take another question from Eddie from Everrealm. Ready for this? I'm ready for, ready for Eddie from Everrealm. Let's hear a question. Hey, y'all. Eddie from Everrealm here with a multi-layer question. Since this season, the castaways are competing in Fate's challenges at Hero Arena to avoid banishment. Does that mean the ex-Vizier has been able to reassemble Verlocks at Darkness's old army? Where is Sir Ansgar when we need him? Is Shondo going to be on Survivor 30? When are we going to get inappropriate comments from Jeff about the Sunspear? All right. <laughs> Dominic. And then it cuts off. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no. We got to stay tuned for season two of that comment. <laughs> I don't know if Verlox uh, got Eddie or what, but he uh, he, he cuts out there. Um, <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, are they playing in the one true hero arena? <laughs> John Rocker was talking about getting dubs. He was getting some dubs. Yeah. So, I would love to see Sean Doe on Survivor, by the way. So there was uh, Eddie from Everrealm. Uh, I don't even think there was an actual qu- question there, but that was funny to like 10% of the audience. If, if, yes. If, 10%. If you, you're being kind. Uh, if, if you know what he's talking about, then uh, you're probably laughing. If not, you're just like, uh, well, I have no idea what that, <laughs> what that I, was I, about. I, I just feel like I've been made nerdier somehow. <laughs> Definitely. Here's uh, some more, more from about Natalie from Tony from Texas. Texas. Not not that Tony. Hi, Rob. It's Tony from Texas. In this last episode, I feel that Johnny Rocker didn't really get a chance to be the total scumbag that I know he can be, aside from a brief outburst at the end of the challenge. I felt really that the 20 came off much the worse for wear in my eyes. And I thought that she really ended up looking a lot worse in the long term in the way that she behaved. Uh, Please comment on this. Thank you. How bad did you think Natalie came off uh, in this interaction with John Rocker? Well, it's interesting. She's dinging John Rocker in this episode, not dinging in the ding, Mary kill or the Rob's podcast bell sort of way, but no, she's, she's really running John Rocker down for what she calls homophobic remarks, not knowing that her sister Nadia has called Josh one of the girls and been accused of some of the same things. So I don't know that anyone is really looking at Natalie as something other than a really excitable, angry person. And like I said, there were some people that were really cheering her on and saying, yeah, go for it. You do it. You call them out, you know? So I don't think she would have done that if she didn't feel like she had some element of cover from her tribe. That said, I thought your exit interview with John Rocker today was pretty revealing when he was talking about the, the way that Natalie specifically was just trash talking him nonstop the entire time. Can you talk a little bit about that for those who haven't heard the exit interview? Yeah, he said that they just kept going and calling him a wussy, and I'm clean cleaning that up quite a bit. And you know, they just kept like going after him and 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 calling calling him out and just like trash talking him. And that's what they do, uh, right. Natalie and Nadia, on the Amazing Race. Uh, that's why the teams that race against them find them so grating. If they're not cheering for each other, then they're you know they do a lot of trash talking, and then they also do a lot of trash talking against each other. Uh, which is also very fun. So, I mean, they're always going to create drama and conflict. And, you know, Rocker is not a guy that's going to take that lying down. So, you know, he's going to keep doing that stuff. Like he's like making that like mouth uh, flapping, like puppet motion to them. And and I'm sure he's only (laughs) inciting them worse. You know, I'm sure he's been in plenty of bullpens where people are in the bleachers like uh, Rocker, you know, and I'm sure he just gives it back to people. You see how he acts on Twitter. Right. He's not a guy that ever backs down from, you know, he never is going to take the high road. He's always just going to, you know, give it back to you. Again, he's the guy in the dunk tank. You know, he's not ever just going to take it. He's going to like, you know, well, you know, you're, you know, your mom is fat. You know, he's just going to, you know, keep going and going and hitting you with low blows. That's what he does. Yeah. And he's he re- you're, the bullpen example is a good one because I don't know if you caught this. During the challenge, when I think it was Jeremy was trying to shoot, John might have made the first ever Caddyshack reference on Survivor. <laughs> when he, Noonan, Noonan, 
<laughs> so I, uh, he's just an overgrown kid. And is he offensive? Is he, does he blow up in inopportune and inappropriate ways? Absolutely. Like there's no doubt about it. But as far as what, what Tony's question was in terms of Natalie, one thing I'll also say is that if, if we remember back to episode two specifically, Natalie was getting a lot of love and support from her tribe when she cried and when she was really having her emotional moments. And I think they were really supportive of her and recognizing that this is really hard for her for her to be away be away from her sister, let alone know that her sister was voted out. Just absolutely not have any chance to reunite with her until the game's over. They know that that's really hitting her pretty hard. So I think they probably will give her a lot of leeway. Uh, as for the people on Coyopa and what they think about Natalie, I think that they already probably are predisposed to thinking negative things about her because Dale went nuclear on the amazing race for whatever reason. <laughs> so they're probably like, well, she's she's a backstabber. You can't trust her. She's just like that one that looked exactly like her. So <laughs> I, I I think that she's probably already perceived negatively by Coyopa, but she seems to be doing just fine within her tribe. Yeah, I think that she does seem to have the support of the people around her. I, in the same way that she took on Drew last night, I don't think she does that if she did not feel like she had the support of other people in her, at least in her alliance, let alone the tribe. I think that's right. Okay. Uh, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of Rob as a Podcast. Before we get back to more of your voicemails here uh, with Antonio, and I want to t- welcome a new sponsor to Rob as a Podcast, And they are from harrys.com, which is the best way to take care of all of your shaving needs. Now, Antonio, we're at the point where we're about day eight, day nine of the Survivor game. This is the point when people are starting to really get the stubble. And if you're used to shaving on the regular, this is the point where it's starting to really drive you crazy that you can't shave. Yeah, and I I think that if they could probably place an order with Harry's and get their starter set ready to go. They would, they would be in good shape here around day eight. Yeah. Now Harry's, what they are able to do is they send you everything you need to do to uh, get a really great shave. Uh, they sent me a bunch of stuff. I've been, uh, I've been shaving with, they've sent me a nice razor. I've got shave gel. I've got uh, aftershave lotion. I'm like Macaulay Culkin now, and I'm able to uh, apply, <laughs> apply aftershave like an actual grown up. Uh, I've got the shaving cream as well. So they send you all everything you need for shave to shave, uh, all in a box it comes to you in the mail and it's very very affordable and also uh it's very very nice stuff too it's like real like grown-up stuff yeah and i I gotta tell you in this day and age and i i for those of you have not seen me i am a bearded man but uh i shave the neck part i don't want to i don't want to represent all the way down the neck on the beard part and yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta keep it gotta keep it tight a little bit so I, I think if you're still buying razors uh, at the store, at the drugstore or at the grocery store, wherever you would buy them, uh, in an alley, in a, in a big city somewhere, <laughs> wherever you might be, be buying your razor blades. From a guy in a trench coat, sure. Sure, yeah, I got blades. You need blades? If you're, if you're still buying those blades at, at store prices, you're not using the internet correctly. This is 2014. There are ways to acquire products that avoid the middleman, and that's what Harry's is all about. And like you said, I think their products, they, they look really, really sharp. Yeah, it's really, really cool stuff. So check it out on harrys.com. You can check out the different sets uh, that you can get with all of the stuff that you need for shaving. Forget all the different trips that you make out to the stores uh, and you can go ahead and get set up and they will send you refills as well whenever you run out of stuff. And plus, uh, they want you to save some money too. Yes, this is better than a fishing kit 
or blankets because you can save $5 on your first purchase at harrys.com with the promo code ROB. So go ahead and uh, check it out. You'll look like you're at the Survivor reunion and not out there on the island uh, when you get shaving with stuff from harrys.com and save $5 on your first purchase uh, with promo code ROB. Okay, so can't wait to see these guys uh, with clean shaving and especially the twinnies because they say they're very, they're very hairy. Can you get a flint from Harry's? <laughs> no, no. What if you bar? Can you bargain with Harry's? Can you say, "Listen, Harry's, we don't have a flint. We'd love to offer you something else of ours in exchange for a flint." Listen, Antonio. Harry has a nice life. Harry, okay? Harry has a nice. He life. has a nice life, and yeah. he's not gonna he's not gonna barter with you. The prices are very affordable. You don't need to you don't need to barter for a bag of beans or or anything like that. You you won't need to. I like that. I like that. I'll have to check it out. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and jump back into your voicemails. All right. Let's take a voicemail from Dave. Okay. And Dave has a uh, a question for you, Antonio. Here we go. Oh, I'm ready. Hey, Rob. This is Dave, a.k.a. Matt Fridge from Twitter. All right, Rob. What do these six winners have in common? Tony Velacha, Tyson Apostle, Boston Rob Mariano, Earl Cole, Brian the Iceman Hoddock and the legend himself, Richard Hatch. Okay. Antonio, I'm gonna pa- I'm pausing the voicemail right now. All right. What do those six winners have in common? Do you have a, a guess? None of them have been in my kitchen. None of them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh do, do, you, do they have anything else in common? Let's see. We got Tony Vlachos. We got Earl Cole. We got Boston Rob Mariano. We got Brian the Iceman Heidek. We got Richard Hatch and Tyson Apostle. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyson's a Mormon, but I don't think Richard Hatch is a Mormon. Tyson is from uh, Utah. Richard Hatch is from the Rhode Island area. Boston oh, Rob's from oh, New England. They all are men. They, they all, all are, are men. They all are men. Final answer? That no, I know that's that's not the answer, but that that is something they have in common. So I know that's right. Okay, well, let's see what Dave. Let's, Dave, let's will, see what this is a good question, Dave. I, I'd like to hear it. Dave will explain the answer. It's a good one. This is great. Give up? They all started the game wearing orange buffs, Rob. Oh no! Where's your orange buff curse now? The only buff that's produced as many winners is the yellow buff, but that list includes Fabio, Natalie White, and Bob Crowley. Which list do you want to be on? And if we're comparing to the light blue buff. The Light Blue Buff has only produced two winners, namely Sandra and Kim Sprodlin. The only buff that's produced fewer was the Brown Buff with Fireman Tom. I don't know, Rob. I think this Orange Buff curse is a lot of hooey, and I think a winner is going to come out of the Orange Tribe. What are your thoughts? Is Orange Buff the new Black Buff now? <laughs> orange is the new Black Buff. I like it. Okay. So this is an interesting wrinkle to this. And maybe this is sort of like the iron sharpens iron theory. So the losingest buff color has the most winners from that buff color. So this is an interesting layer uh, to this. So six winners wearing the orange buff, but the updated overall tribe stats in the wins and losses, um, I mean, especially if we're counting the individual challenges, coming into this season, the orange buff color was 40 and 56. So to update it, they're going to be 41 and 61. They're 20 games under 500, yet they have six winners who started off wearing that color. 
It's it's very interesting. The iron sharpens iron theory could be very valid in that Josh is playing a very active game right now, sort of by necessity. He can't just sort of lazily float around his tribe and not really have to strategize and not strengthen the bonds of his alliance through several different tribal councils. I think Baylor was very satisfied last night when the vote happened the way it did, that she could trust Josh to turn on somebody in their alliance against her, so or for her. And I think that some bonds that form here could be very sharp. The, the question is, is it do they do these people choose blood or water like the are the bonds that form in their tribe going to be sharper than the bonds that they f- had formed coming into the game or or where does that play out that's the interesting twist of the season of course but that iron sharpens iron theory is is very interesting dave yeah i would like to see some sort of stats if the next time we get together with jason and talk about all sorts of these different you know probabilities from survivor you know I want to know if the number of tribal councils attended, maybe just like in the pre-merge, is there some sort of correlation between number of tribal councils attended and success post-merge? That's a great question. And Jason can find that intern of his who doesn't ever watch Survivor, who doesn't know anything about the show, (laughs) who can just dispassionately crunch the numbers and find out if there's some sort of deviation from what should be expected uh, or if there's actually just some just random numbers. And the, the fact that we've got the winners that we've had to come from Orange, that is an interesting thing to look at. Yeah. Did they become winners because they had so much experience going to tribal council early? Did they figure out how to play the game and got really good at it? Or is it just a statistical anomaly? Yeah. And, and part of that could be the stress, the stress of the pre-tribal period where you have to decide before you go to council, how am I going to talk to people? Who am I going to listen to? Who can I trust? When you've sharpened those reflexes and skills, I, I don't know. You, 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 Rob, can speak to this. A lot of people talk about why the returning players are so dominant in Survivor. Some people say they're used to the cameras. They're not taken aback by the entire experience. And so their head is a little clearer and they're able to make sharper decisions. Uh, there's a lot of theories as to why why the returning players are so much sharper than new players. And maybe some of the same theories about why those returning players are so sharp could be applied to a tribe like Coyopa, which is going through a lot of tribal councils before they get to the merge. Yeah, it's just sort of like, you know, it's not the first day of school. You know where everything right. is, you know. Right. So I think that you have a better sense of things. And and I'm sure there's some sort of, uh, Antonio, what, what is this called when there's like, well, obviously the people who are all, are all going to lose are already out. So uh, we have some sort of, there's some sort of like a bias towards the, the people that are moving on and surviving because that by the fact that they are moving on and surviving yeah, natural selection i think that's called yeah and so you know there's definitely some things that are kind of wonky with it, especially with these small sample sizes but an interesting thing to track yeah it is it is in, in some ways some sort of social darwinism that plays out in that respect because you're right it's sort of cutting the separating the wheat from the chaff or thinning the herd or whatever you want to call it uh, is a little bit of what goes on when a tribe like Coyopa goes to tribal council so often. And that hasn't happened at Hunapu. We haven't, we haven't thinned the herd. We haven't separated that chaff out from the wheat. So those people aren't ready to make those decisions and haven't had to think about it that way because that process hasn't occurred. Maybe they're more liable to be picked off by a really smarter, savvy player. I mean, obviously the the six people that that Dave mentioned are also one of the things they have in common is they're all very good players of survivor. Yeah. 
Yeah, they all play very strategic games. They all Earl did a very good job in in a lot of facets of the game. I think in an underrated way. We know what kind of dominant game Brian Heideck played. We know where Richard Hatch was mentally on the the plane he was the in Borneo. So these are players that did a really good job. Keep in mind Tyson had to play a couple times before he was ready to put himself in that position and get on that plane as well. Okay, let's go ahead and let's take a question. This is a philosophical question, and this is from Daniel. Hi, Rob. This is Daniel. Um, My question was, seeing how John Rocker, how he behaved at the challenge, and how he proclaimed that he's changed since his bigotry back in 1995, do you think that Survivor is kind of like helps to show people's true colors, such as when... Colton said that he changed in blood versus water. And then we see him going back to how he used to be in one world. Love to hear what you say. Thanks. So is Survivor truth serum? Does Survivor bring out the you that is the most you? You tell me, Rob. You you have played this you've played the the show, the game Survivor. You have experienced it more directly than I have uh, as just a mere fan of the show. I would say there is seemingly some element to that, but the part, it's hard to say anything is truth. When we talk about reality TV, we're watching an edited version of something. So we're watching a story that it was intended to be told, whether it was the story you intended to tell or not, or the story that you felt should have been told or not. Maybe you wanted to be edited like Kim Sprodlin. <laughs> yeah. And you weren't. So maybe you don't feel that it was a representation of the true you. So if you want to get philosophical about it, we have to break it down and say there is some sort of separation between what's actually happening and what we see and what we take in. It's different in, in that way than Big Brother, where we're seeing everything uh, in most cases on the live feeds and they have to protect people from themselves in a true way. Survivor has a chance to make you look like a hero or a goat, depending on what story that you tell on the island or they can tell with you to uh, sample a little bit from our man, Jonathan Penner. <laughs> yeah. You know, Antonio. Um, so uh, yeah, Survivor brings out the you in you that Mark Burnett wants the world to see. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I do think that there, there's truth to that. And, you know, I do like to, you know, talk about this, that I think that what is beautiful and, and interesting about Survivor is that you have all these trappings in your everyday life and things that you have a position or you have a, you know, a, a famous, you know, a, a name or, or money or, a, or, you know, whatever it is that you have in life that you sort of is your trump card that you fall back to where it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm this and I'm, I'm, I have this power or I, or I don't. Well, th- those things are all gone in the game of Survivor, and all you have is yourself and your and your wits and your strength, and you're just stripped down to this uh, this very basic version of you and then on top of that you know you throw in the elements and you throw in the hunger and you're sort of like this savage version of you where it's really just down to you have you know nothing but you know your personality and your character traits and now you're also playing this game for a million dollars and and what what do you do when you're in that situation? And so on that basic level, it's the you that's stripped down to nothing, but that's also playing a super competitive game against other people for a million dollars. So I don't know if necessarily you get a true judgment of what a person is like in real life, 
but you do in some ways get this really pure version of a person of what they're like under these circumstances. Right. And, and that is, that's sort of, I I think if you were going to say, I want to cast a show like this, I want to find people who, if I can understand them at their core before I bring them out there, what I expect them to be. And some of the things that Jeff Probst talks about is you can think you've got that and you throw people into this situation where you strip things away from them and you isolate them and you put them in the scenario where people are being cutthroat and are lying to them and they're forced to fight for themselves on a daily basis from a literal standpoint and a physical one. They uh, they maybe are going to be different and they're going to learn things about themselves. We always used to see that when we would see the fallen comrades montage at the end of the season, we would have like a little sound clip from the people who had fallen and they would say, I learned so much about myself or uh, when you get out here, this is how you are. And so I think that you don't even necessarily know, it seems like uh, what what's going to come out of you when you're put in that situation. And I think that's what's made the product so compelling over time, uh, even even still now uh, in that maybe it tells you that you that's the most you that you didn't realize at that place in time. And maybe you can be someone like Jerry Manthe where your story is told in an arc over several seasons. And the third time you come out there, you're a different you than you were the first time you came out there. So your story is different. I think that as a storytelling show, that's, that's where survivor really hits it out of the park. Yeah. But also this stuff that, you know, in these fallen comrades that people end up saying about them, themselves, that's sort of like the kind of stuff like if you go back and like read your high school yearbook, like the kind of stuff that we did on the podcast last week, the people that signed into Nicole's sister's sweet 16 on the message board, like uh, that was like, uh, like, you know, I'll never forget that time. And you do forget, you know, those things that happen. It's like, oh, my God, Survivor was such a life changing thing. I'm going to I'm never going to take this for granted again. And then like two weeks later, you do. I think there's very few people that really become changed people because of what they learn on Survivor. Now, the experience, I think, sometimes can change people. And I mean that like a a little bit differently, like the experience of going and being on a reality TV show and the and the things that come associated with that. I think that changes a person. But I think that very rarely does the actual experience of Survivor change people in a lasting way. Yeah, I would be very interested to see somebody like a Baylor in 10 to 12 years and and kind of revisit. You were 20 when you went out there. Um what happened? Like what what do you feel that that meant to you as a 20-year-old? Did it did it because it isn't just being on the island. It is the experience you're right of being on TV and of having people criticize you and pillory you for what is ultimately an edit of your actions and your words. And so I think that there is a lot that some people might, depending on the time of their life, learn from the entire experience, not necessarily the 10 to 39 days they spend on the island. Yeah. If it wasn't televised, I I think it would be very little that actually changes people. I think that it's the experience and it's the TV show and it's like all of the things that are associated with that. That is is, if anything, is the thing that changes people. Right. I think that 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 uh, that coming from you, especially, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I feel like that's something that w- we've never really talked about in the uh, in the history of the show. We probably did six times. But I again, uh, I, 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 like to, I, hey, I like to think we're making history tonight on the birthday <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yes. All right. Let's do one more question and then let's jump into some of the social media stuff. Uh, let's go out to the the great Josh Spaulding, uh, who I saw just the other night at the live show. And uh, that's what he wants to talk about. Hey, Rob. Josh Balding calling from New Hampshire. I had the distinct pleasure of attending the roast and attending the Survivor Know-It-Alls live in New York City. 
had a blast at both times, and I'm wondering, based on the smashing success of these events, whether there's going to be more live events coming for us. Um, and, you know, if there is, where might those events be? I'm guessing Wolfboro, New Hampshire is not on that list, but uh, anywhere is fine with me. I obviously have traveled across the country. And definitely going to follow the podcast no matter where you guys go. But anyways, keep up the great work. Have a good day. Bye. All right. Jo- the great Josh Spaulding took a lot of nice pictures uh, at the uh, at the live Survivor Know-It-Alls. Um, Josh Spaulding uh, is now the answer to a very interesting trivia question of the number of people who were at the live Survivor Know-It-Alls and the RHAP roast. I think in addition to uh, myself, uh, Josh Spaulding, Alex Forstenhausler, Parvati, Fincher, and Sophie. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that was at both things. Um, I would have said Parvati and Fincher. So you've got me, brother. I wasn't at either one. Yeah, sadly. Okay. Well, uh, if you were at, if there's anybody that I'm for that I'm forgetting, uh, first off, my apologies because you are a very dedicated member of Rob Has a Planet. But um, yeah, very, very, very interesting. So good for Josh Spaulding uh, making that making that trip. You telling me Mikey B wasn't at the uh, wasn't at the live <laughs> Mike, podcast? <laughs> Mike Barassi? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. All right. So. Um, did, uh, did your mom put uh, put Josh Balding up to that call? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh boy. What oh do, boy. do you have? Do we have? Uh, do we have an, a, any answer on? I mean, let let's uh, let's go patron cast on this. Let's get a little deep. We'll do is is it live events something that we think we're going to see more of in the future? You know, who knows if we're digging? Dig woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually have the uh, the dig the dig deep uh, somewhere. Do I have that one? Uh, maybe not. Uh, not at not at the ready, unfortunately. I think we had it at, at, at one at one point, but I don't think we have the uh, the Jeff Probst version. But anyway, so as far as uh more more live shows, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I'd like to do another one uh, in New York in the spring, but ultimately, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. So some people are saying, well, where's our where's our Chicago uh you know live show? I, Where's I, my Melbourne, Kentucky live show, Rob? Yeah, I don't know. We could, we could do it at my house. I, I don't know, Antonio. That, About this... as big as that room at Gotham, I think. Whoa. <laughs> no, it... I got room for 75 somewhere in my yard, maybe. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Coming to you live from Antonio's backyard. <laughs> yes. I, I like the sound of that. Let's do it. Yeah, it'd be very, very fun. Uh, honestly, yeah, I, I don't know that, you know, with this podcast in these last, uh, you know, closing in on five years uh, this February, it's been such a wild ride. I have no idea where it's ultimately going to go. I think that that will not be the last live show. I don't believe. I think I speak for Josh Balding and others when I say, Rob, wherever it goes, we'll be there for you. Man. Awesome. Awesome. It was very, very fun. I had it such a such a fun time. Uh, I talked to Stephen Fishback last night. He was telling me how he had such a fun time. So it, it just seemed like it was, a, a you know, everybody that I spoke to, again, a, anybody that thought it sucked didn't tell me, but everybody that was there, you know, uh, seemed like they really, really uh, enjoyed themselves and, and, and were, you know, it's just a really, really exciting time. Yeah, I think it should be a once a year thing for sure, at least. And uh, I have only heard the best things. And Josh, Josh is a very lucky person to get in on that event in New York. And I know that uh, a lot of people 
missed out. And I think that uh, next time that you're in New York, a lot more people will be there. Okay. Well, let's jump into some of the Survivor social media stuff. And of course, uh, Mike Shaheen put all of this uh, stuff together this week. So uh, really, really great job. He did it in a, in a, in a really, really uh, cool way. I've got uh, lots of information in front of me, Antonio. So let's start to dig in and let's start off with speaking of New York. Uh, let's start with Eliza. Oh uh, yeah, this is good. She had, she had a lot to say. And so, um, she was talking about, uh, some, some of the things that, that she had to say. First off, uh, she is not a fan of Jacqueline. Not a fan of Jack. What? Well, I can, I can understand that. Yes. Uh, she, what did Eliza say? she tweeted, uh, about the tribal council. I'm so nervous. This tribe is a mess. Also, who is that blonde chick talking right now? <laughs> I was asking myself the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I think that Josh and Wes were asking themselves that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Eliza was not happy with the immunity challenge that was done last night. Now, again, uh, we talked about it a little bit last night. It was called the Game of Throw-Ins. Uh, Antonio, do you, do you have any uh, Game of Throw-Ins jokes you wanted to make? I no. <laughs> yeah. So it was sorry, called- Miles and I. I feel like I've let you down. So the challenge was called the Game of Throw-Ins uh, with uh, a, a lot of uh, work from Miles Nye went into this challenge, our friend of the podcast. And so uh, Eliza was upset because she says that this challenge is based on a challenge from Survivor fans versus favorites. She says, can't believe they're doing such a dangerous challenge after this is what caused Penner's medevac. Yeah, and I that is a there is definitely an influence there from that challenge, right? I but I you had the great TV of Chet being dragged around in that challenge, and I don't know why you wouldn't, if you could, find some way to want to replicate some of that. I can't believe they did this again. It's bollocks. <laughs> it's bollocks. Yeah, that would be. Now we should ask Jonathan Penner what uh, what he thinks about uh, what he thinks about that. It's too bad he was on last week. He. He probably he he would probably have a very interesting take on that. Uh, Eliza also called out Jeremy and said, "I think you mean homophobic, Jeremy." Now, uh, did you catch what? what yes. Did you catch what? Uh, you know, Jeremy had a very interesting uh, revisionist history, even of the controversial things that John Rocker had to say. Here, here's according to Jeremy uh, what the problem is with John Rocker. Let me tell you exactly what this dude is. He said a whole bunch of racist and homosexual stuff. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, yeah, this, well, this 20, 2014, man. Yeah. Hey, if John Rocker is saying homosexual stuff, we're not gonna we're not gonna come out against him. That's that makes you homophobic. Yeah, come out. Absolutely, we're not gonna come out against him. Yeah. What? 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 What were the things that John Rocker said? Look, th- whatever John Rocker said, I don't think it's terribly different than anything Rudy said at the Survivor finale a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, now, did John Rocker say that like some of the other guys on his, on his tribe are are handsome? I, I didn't. I don't remember him saying that. No. Uh, did he say I I really like the the cut of Dale's jib? <laughs> I, I I don't know. Uh, I would like to drink Wes's bathwater. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, I can't. I can't believe it. Let me tell you exactly what this dude is. He said a whole bunch of racist and homosexual stuff. Now, <laughs> did he say racist and homosexual stuff? Because um, then that is a true talent, really. Because then we're not cool with that. 
you got to be very careful about combining things like that. I think you got to be you got to be very careful. I wonder who his target would be if that were the case. And I, I there's there's really nobody in his tribe that would fit that bill. I guess I don't know. Maybe he maybe he found out that Alec was of Czechoslovakian heritage or something and said something like uh, negative about Czechoslovakians, but that he thought Alec was really attractive for a Czechoslovakian. Yeah, sort of like uh, <laughs> boy that Tay Diggs. That guy is hot. I mean, for an African American. Yeah, if only if he if he imagined he was white. If he was a <laughs> if it was a white Tay Diggs boy. I'm telling you, what, everything uh, we're talking about in this podcast involves digging in some sort of <laughs> yes. uh, fashion. Oh, so. Yes, <laughs> it seems appropriate. Dig to pay where you went, yeah. <laughs> or dig man in this case. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also, Eliza called out uh, when Jeff Probst uh, talked about during the episode about how well oh this is what we get when it's survivor blood versus water that what jeremy's reaction is to seeing his wife getting voted out uh eliza tweeted well jeff someone's wife is not blood it's the definition of not blood (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i am from kentucky so uh earlier (laughs) earlier in the episode i don't know but if you if you caught this or not when uh when Keith and uh, and Wes were battling, and the, after the battle, Keith was a little bit emotional. And, and Jeff said, "Wes, have you ever seen your father like this?" And Wes said, "Maybe only once, when my great grandpa died and his grandfather died." And I'm thinking, wouldn't wouldn't your dad's grandfather be your great grandpa unless it's this the same? I, I was very confused by that remark. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't try to think of the math on that but i did actually feel like that was a really touching moment that was in the show and something that you know I, i'm not really a you know uh, a, a a super sensitive uh person and, and this sort of stuff doesn't n- normally uh move me but i was a little touched by that moment between wes and keith who had an interaction that had it not been for survivor they may never have had together yeah, I think that was much better. I mean, Jeff is really looking for this sort of thing when they do the blood versus water. And and anytime you're sending someone to exile, he seems to really, rightly so, be be pushing and prodding for those kind of emotional reactions. I think this is one that seemed organic and was very earned and I thought was great. I think Keith is, is pretty great. He was a little... He was a little bit like Rudy in this episode. It's almost like if they cast Sam Elliott to play Rudy in Survivor the movie. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, we're not going to be any spooning around this fire. I, I just don't see too many Joshes in Louisiana. And he's laughing about he it. He laughed so hard at that. Like, I didn't think I it was that funny. <laughs> he fell out. Like, he made himself crack up. And <laughs> I, I mean, I like Keith. He seemed, he's talking about whooping and we still, we still spank down south and He's an interesting character. Yeah. And <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is uh so to see that moment with him, with him and and Wes was actually really good. You're right. But I got lost when when Wes started talking about great grandpas and grandpas, and I got lost in the generations, man. Yeah. I mean, he, he was really laughing like extremely hard. He really was about the the whole uh Josh thing. I mean, I mean, like Josh is a is a gay person, but he's not like, you know, some like ridiculously like like if it was, if he was on Exile Island with like Frankie Grande and he's like, yeah. boy, we don't have too many Frankie Grandes in Louisiana. But other than the fact that Josh is gay, I mean, it, it's like it, there's no there's nothing about him that is really like uh, super absurd or unusual. 
No, I don't think so. And as a matter of fact, he's the the church going kind of person. He's a very interesting uh, person. And I think that it shows that he's able to sort of seamlessly float between groups and really hit it off with lots of different kinds of people uh, so that he can get there with Keith. And and, and Josh says, you know, the value is I, I get to interact with somebody that's totally different than me. And Josh seems to seamlessly slide into that into that existence very easily. And so I think that he, it put Keith an, enough at ease that he said, I don't know people like Josh, but uh, this is, this is really different to me. If he had been someone like Frankie Grande, who knows how it would have gone. <laughs> I don't know. Put him out there with Jim J. Bullock, see what happens. <laughs> wow. I believe that's the first ever Jim J. Bullock reference in the history of Rob as a podcast. I'm telling making to history him. tonight. I'm making history tonight, Rob. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about uh, from uh, Denise Stapley? Uh, at Goofy Gal 1171, she said, uh, Dear Karma, thank you. Hashtag Rocker has left the roost. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> Rocker has left the roost and gone to Ponderosa. Yeah. Um, Sophie tweeted, uh, I adore John Rocker's feminine head over shoulder yearbook poses slash confessional stances. Uh, do you know what she's referencing? Yeah, he... <laughs> He really just sort of like like Olin Mills or some sort of photography group told him now wait tilt a little bit to the side here and give us a little bit of a look and then there was some speculation as to whether those those poses that he was throwing up at tribal council were in the moment poses or if they were in reaction to other things but he was really giving us some good freeze frames there. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll have to go back and uh, check that out. Like maybe there's one point where he opens his eyes real wide and tilts his head to the side. It's pretty hilarious. All right, could be some meme material. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, how about Rupert? Uh, Rupert jumped in, and uh, Rupert had this, had this to say about. You'd be surprised how good those snails taste when you're hungry. I've eaten many of those snails. That seems like a little bit of a humble brag to me. Yeah, exactly. No, he's talking about before he came to the island. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's talking about those Indiana snails. They're delicious. Oh, is that a, <laughs> it's a delicacy, right? Yes, yes. It's, yeah, escargot. Escargot uh, for Rupert. Only the best for gubernatorial candidate Bonham. Yeah, who's your snail? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, we have not checked in yet, I believe, this season uh, with the great uh, Lisi Linares. Oh, boy. Right? She's always she's always good. <laughs> uh, she said she tweeted. Uh, I, I guess this is uh, for Julie. Uh, she says uh, your boyfriend John took you to get your boobs and lips done. Hashtag Survivor Comedy Hour. Uh, she says also uh, ha 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 John slash John. She spells it both ways. <laughs> You're out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, That's the problem with that, with tidy whities is you can only play about three seconds of, of audio before you get into the NSFW territory. Yeah. Um, Here's one from a at Cass McHugh fellow lawyer, right? Fellow lawyer. Yeah. Fellow. uh, She says, uh, what better night than hashtag survivor Wednesday to apply parentheses Casting asked me to do this, so tell them Chaos Cast sent you. Oh, she like Large Marge now? <laughs> is that the first Large Marge reference on Rob as a <laughs> yes, podcast? It well, it's fitting that uh, very sad news today about Jan Hooks, who died, who had uh, the great part in Pee Wee's Big Adventure of talking about how uh, there's no basement in the Alamo. 
just the way she says it, it's like a, like a nail through the heart, man. Everybody laughs at him. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> There's no Josh in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> and he just runs away. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, I saw a couple of survivors on social media writing about like, hey, just so you never know, uh, casting uh, wants to remind you to send in your survivor application. I guess I must not have been cool enough to be one of the people that casting reached out to to remind people about, hey, might as well send in a tape because uh, I guess I'm not one of the people that has the reach of uh, of a of a cast. Well, my favorite one of those, speaking of cast, came from Spencer at Spencer BGM. Did you see what he said? Um, I did not have that in my uh, in my notes. He said, apply for hashtag survivor at CBS survivor casting dot com. If cast can get on, you can, too. <laughs> <laughs> and the best response to that was Russell Hand said, LOL, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's one from Tony. Speaking of uh, Survivor Kagiyan, yes. um, uh, Tony tweeted to uh, Derek from Big Brother. A little bit of a of a uh, cops are us going on on Twitter. Cops are us. Uh, Tony tweeted, "Wow, Derek underscore L thirteen. One of the worst Twitter handles going uh, these days. Uh, for yeah, Derek has, has all the Big Brother game in the world, but uh, terrible. Uh, he is not a social media mogul." Uh, I think with, there's 13 letters in his last name, and that's why he's got L13. Derek underscore L13. He said, do I need to get on CBS Big Brother if I want the same number of followers of you? You have 123,000 more than me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I love the Tony like per, uh, persecution complex or inferiority complex. Yeah. Uh, between I want the edit of Kim Sprodlin. How come Derek has more followers than me? <laughs> Like, you know, it drives him crazy. Yeah, he's just sitting around at his sleepovers, just talking with his bros about this. Like, what do I have to do for you people? (laughs) Got to make another T-shirt? You like good TV? Is that what you want? I am Team TV. (laughs) I'm Team TV. Oh, boy. Uh, Tony, he's very, uh, he's just, it's not. Why isn't Tony bigger? It's a good question. I don't have the answer for the record. He, uh, he's very active on the social media. So you would think a guy who's, who's clocking it like that should be, should be a little more beloved. I, I don't know. Maybe people just don't like, we, we heard Corinne doesn't like police officers. Maybe people just don't like police. Although that that, it is? I don't know. People still like Derek, but maybe he lied about being a cop. So they were okay with that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what, uh, maybe Tony, maybe uh, like 50 years from now, Tony will be appreciated. He's not appreciated yeah. in his own time. He isn't. He's he's like a he's like an artist who never, never would realize artist. his success. Not is that, not, is that why not, Mike Scoopin doesn't appreciate him? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, Spencer retweeted. Uh, check uh, who I think is toast uh, this week with uh, Gordon Holmes. Uh, I just can't wait till next season when Gordon Holmes does the power rankings with John Rocker. <laughs> I think that's going to be very fun. Yeah, that Xfinity would love to have John Rocker in <laughs> the stable. I think. Uh, okay, number one person I think is getting voted off. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, that. <laughs> uh, it'll be gold. It'll be gold. Yes, it uh, would be gold. Uh, Cochran, uh, he's not really tweeting about Survivor. Uh, he, Shocker. He's uh, tweeting uh, that he wants a reality show that's just footage of the loser's car ride home after Family Feud. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see Survivor that. Survivor Family good. Feud? 
That's pretty good. Survivor Family Feud would would are are people encouraged to carpool to Survivor Family Feud? <laughs> I don't know. But they would <laughs> at least get the lipstick camera after. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Okay. Um also uh, again not survivor related, but I thought this was funny. Uh he tweets uh interrupt strangers discussing a TV show. Uh if you want a real American horror story, look no further than the underfunding of our national parks. <laughs> And Johnny, save some of it for the Millers. Yeah. Don't use all your good material on Twitter, with man. With Sean Hayes. With with Sean Hayes now, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and uh let's take a couple of uh checking in with the current survivors. Now they've got to be a little cryptic. They're they're not allowed to, I think, tweet uh, directly about the show. No, the living room is far less interactive than ever. Yes. Um su- Survivor Kelly at Kelly Wentworth. She says, uh, it's hashtag Wednesday. We all know what that means. Hashtag mysteries of Laura. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag not getting a confessional. That's the code word. It's a code word. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Dale Wentworth. He's on Twitter. He's at farm guy 69. Now that's a guy <laughs> that Derek may want to consult with. Now that's a social media mogul. Yeah. At farm guy 69. That's also his handle on FarmersOnly.com. <laughs> Dale. You don't have to be lonely at Farmers Only is what I've heard. Oh, my God. At Farm Guy 69. Maybe that's the year he was born. No, that's not right. He's older than that. <laughs> Just his favorite number, Rob. Yeah, nothing he, wrong with it. So he says, uh, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. So there's a that's a sage advice from Farm Guy 69. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I, I'm not sure, sure exactly why, but I feel like that's due a. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, we'll see an exchange at some point between Farm Guy sixty nine and Lisi. <laughs> if we're lucky, if we're lucky, if we're lucky. Okay. Um. All right. So, uh, John Rocker, uh, he tweeted a bit, and this was sort of a uh, a exchange that I think was mishandled. So by John Rocker, you're kidding me. Okay, so uh, Justin the Cookie, one of the Rob of the Podcast listeners, tweeted, "I'm not happy tonight." At John Rocker book got voted off. So you would feel like this this was a show of support for John. Yeah, Rocker. this is one of your fans who is not happy that you're not in the show anymore. Yes, and John Rocker wrote back to Justin the Cookie and said, "Great, at least you can finally be happy about something in your worthless life." what but he was but he was not happy yeah well (laughs) this john rocker he's just biting the hand that feeds yes he's a Uh, fan uh yeah he also he also had another exchange with a with a survivor fan about um people somebody started talking to him about uh rape in prison and and uh john rocker uh, I, i'll you can follow john rocker on twitter if you want to see how that or at extinct. least just pull up his profile and look at his tweets and replies maybe not follow him yes yes uh okay and uh also one from uh natalie anderson at natalie ann said uh don't hate the player hate the game peace sign emoticon I like it. Let's if life gives you lemons, make margaritas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, Russell Hans uh, had a bunch of a bunch of tweets, uh, and so uh, I think here's one of them. That he said, uh, "Stop all this BS gameplay. A bunch of two faced people. That's why villains are great. We will tell you right to your face. You're stupid." 
Yeah, I, I, not all the villains would do that, Russell. Yeah, and Russell Russell Hans wants an all villain season. I, I saw that. I saw that. Which I, it's not the worst idea. Villains versus villains. Villains versus villains. R- Russell Hans is pushing it. Well, that's because Russell is looking for a way to get back on Survivor, as usual. <laughs> yeah. I bet and some I, of the villains would be two-faced. I thought you were telling me, I thought you were going to tell me Russell had another stream of unconsciousness series of tweets. <laughs> no. But he seems to be staying above board these days. Yeah. He, well, he's got to, you know, he's got to stay uh, on the straight and narrow if he wants to get on Survivor villains versus villains. That's true. That's okay. true. Boy, Antonio, this was, uh, this was so much fun. Uh, I had a great time. I I keep like I wake up tomorrow and, and talk more Survivor with Todd. The, the, your, Rob, your life, your life. Uh, people people would love to have your life, Rob. This is this is uh <laughs> the dream. This is Living dream. the no, dream. Uh, this was very very fun, Antonio, and uh, very much uh, looking forward to continuing this conversation with Todd tomorrow morning in part two. Uh, Antonio, um, can you help us come up with a good hashtag for this episode? Oh my gosh. Can I help you come up with a hashtag? That's the sort of time where you ask yourself a question because you're stalling because you don't have a good answer. <laughs> yeah. I uh <laughs> I don't have a I what I I don't have a good hashtag. What what, what do you think? Boy, uh we covered a lot of ground tonight. We talked we, did. <laughs> we talked about uh everything. This is when people are screaming during the podcast of what what it should be. Yeah, because they we didn't realize that we said Jim J Bullock 10 times. <laughs> I think <laughs> is it Jim J. Bullock? Is that it? Do people know how to spell Bullock is my question. They might smell Jim J. Bollock. Uh, Jim, I think, well, now I think it's Jim J. Bollocks. <laughs> All right. That's All right. Jim J. Bollocks. <laughs> uh, do you think that Penner is friends with Jim J. Bollocks? They, they may have, uh, they may have, their past may have crossed at some point out there. Yeah. Um, do you think that Jim J. Bollocks is one of the, is one of the other handles uh, with Farm Guy 69 on uh, farm dating? <laughs> I feel like that is uh, his screen, his screen name. And by screen, I don't mean computer screen. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, Antonio. So uh, I think you <laughs> think you nailed it. Uh, Jim J. Bollocks, if you made it to the end of the all voicemail part one of our Survivor episode number three recap uh, with Antonio. Uh, Antonio, has this been uh, one of the crazier birthdays? I think so, Rob. It's just getting started. I've got another 20 minutes left here. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, my God. Lord knows what trouble I could get into in 20 minutes. All right. Well, if you want more of Antonio, one, you could follow him on Twitter. He's at A.C. Mazzaro. That's with two Z's and one R. You got it. There you go. And you could also hear Antonio on our Boardwalk Empire post-show recap. Uh, they re- drop Those drop what? Tuesday mornings? Tuesday mornings. Tuesday mornings. So you can check that out also on postshowrecaps.com. Plus, uh, Josh Wiggler and I are going to be back together once again for the return of The Walking Dead this Sunday night on AMC. That's right. 10.15 p.m. Eastern time, 7.15 p.m. Pacific on Post Show Recaps for our live recap of The Walking Dead Season 5. Can you believe it? Carl's my favorite character on television, Rob. Carl. Carl is my favorite character on television. Yeah, we're going to talk about Carl and Rick and Carol and all of the all the Walking Dead. See see what happens (laughs) to our friends. See if they're going to get out of uh, the hairy predicament they got themselves into at the end of season four. Yeah, see if there's a terminus to this story. Terminus. Oh my god. Oh my god. And Tasha Yar. 
Yeah. She's back. I'm excited. I'm, 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 I, I, I'm happy that Walking Dead is back for you guys to talk about. Okay, so we're going to talk about all that as well. Plus, our podcast with Todd coming uh, this Friday afternoon. Then Jessica Lee and I are going to get back together, talk about The Amazing Race live at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, then also over the weekend on Post Show Recaps, the return of Bill Hader to Saturday Night Live. Going to talk about that with Rich Tackenberg. That's going to be live 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. So a lot of podcasts come in the next couple of days. It's so, it's so much fun. So many good shows. You didn't even mention sons of anarchy. You guys are talking oh, about that too. Well, that's, that's like, that's Tuesday or, or so or, many, so many good things going yeah, on. Sons of anarchy, final season recap also on post show recap. So, uh, we're about almost at the halfway point of sons of anarchy. So, um, once upon a time going on oh, once, upon, once upon a time as well. Yeah. Sure. Lots yeah, of so, so many, many good, so many good things. So many podcasts on the Robins podcast uh, networks. I didn't even get into the reality TV wrap ups and they want, the are you the one uh, wrap up show and then the big brother Australia and everything that's going on uh, with uh, Kurt Clark and Amy. So, uh, so much stuff going on. Check it all out on Rob website.com and on post show recaps.com. Yeah. We're going to have to change the hashtag to plug fest. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of feel like at the point where we're two hours into the podcast or closing in, uh, I feel like people, if they're sick of the plugs, they could just turn it off at this point. Yeah, uh, if you're sick of the plugs, I understand. But yeah. uh, thank you for listening. I know that it's the hardcore people that are here at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah all, that's the, right. all the Jim J. Bollocks people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, and thanks as well to uh, we had a lot of people sign up to become patrons of the podcast over the last couple of weeks. So thank you guys all very much uh, for your support. If you want to find out more about that, you could always go to robazawebsitecom slash patron. I'll be back tomorrow with Todd. Very, very busy weekend coming up here on Rob Has a Podcast. Have a good one. Antonio, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.